Will you please turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians 6. And the guys have some Bibles for anybody who needs one. We want everybody to have one so that you can see what we're considering in God's Word. So get their attention. They'll get a Bible to you. And those are marked at Ephesians chapter 6, where we are closing in on the end of a lengthy series we've been involved in for many, many months, over a year actually. Through the book of Ephesians, the title of the series is on the screen, Your Place in God's Plan. We'll be making reference to that theme, Your Place in God's Plan, because it's in the outline that's inserted in your program, and we'll call your attention to that in just a bit. Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 21. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. We've all attended events where it makes sense for you to leave before the ending is complete. Most of us walk out of a movie when the credits start to roll. At a baseball game, if your team is up by eight runs in the ninth, it makes sense to beat the crowd by leaving early. Although in the unlikely event, it's the Tigers who are up by eight in the ninth. As their relievers come in, you might want to stick around to see what happens. We've come to the end of our study of this book in the Bible called Ephesians. And for very many people, it's like the credits at the end of a movie, containing names, in this case, a single name, that you don't know and you don't think you really need to care about. So perhaps you're doing your own Bible reading, and you might quit when you get to the end of of one of these letters in the New Testament that has these usually multiple names mentioned. Or if you're doing a series through a book, like we have, taken over a year to do, you might end it with verse 20 and skip the concluding names and remarks. Most often, these names and remarks at the end of the letters in the New Testament are filled with personal greetings to and from people whose names we don't know. We don't know who they are, so why bother? What's the point of that? In fact, why is that included in the Bible at all? Well, the fact that it is included in Scripture should tell you and me that it should not be skipped. The Bible says of itself, all Scripture is useful. And so even these endings with these obscure names are in some fashion useful. And the mention of names like Tychicus at the end of these New Testament letters does indeed serve a very important purpose. They make it absolutely clear that the mission to which we have been called is not carried out by superstars and big names. But it's carried out by regular, ordinary, everyday people like you. Now, if we're honest, some of us would like it if Scripture taught that the mission was performed by special people, 
Because that would mean if we're not special, we get exempted. In fact, many of us have created this sort of false dichotomy in our minds between the professionals, the kind of green beret Christians, and then there's the ordinary folks. You hear it when we talk of certain people being called to the ministry. When in fact the Bible teaches that all of us are called to the ministry. You hear it as I have many times over the years when someone says, as they see a servant of God giving his or herself completely in devotion to the Lord, sacrificing much for the sake of Christ. And I've heard many times, you have to have a special calling for that. Because you see, that exempts us. And so we have our friends the coats here. They're going to go to a land where they don't know what all to expect, but they're willing to, to take that risk for the sake of Jesus. And we can look at them and we can say, hey, they are my heroes and we want to pray for them and we want to monetarily support them and we should do all of that. But hear this, dear friend. God has called us to no less sacrifice in this place than He has for them in that place. It's obviously true that we're not all called to the same location and task, but we are all called, every single one of us, to the same mission and the same sacrifice to advance that mission. And so whether you use what Christ has given in a foreign land, or in Woodhaven, or Trenton, what we have has been given to us to be used for the mission. And so chapter 4 and verse 1 of Ephesians as the transition is made from the first three chapters where a foundation of truth is given, then in chapters 4 through 6, based on that foundation, practical instruction is given. And at the beginning of that practical instruction, it says in chapter 4, in verse 1, I urge you, as a prisoner for the Lord then, then because of everything you've seen in chapters 1 through 3, I, Paul, who wrote it, I am now urging you, and I am urging you as one who is imprisoned because of my commitment to the cause of Christ, and I am encouraging you as a prisoner for the Lord to now live in a way that's worthy, consistent of the calling that you have received. What it's saying is this, friends. The call to salvation is a call to live consistent with that salvation. Now consider if salvation is priceless, then there's nothing that should be more valuable to us than to live for the Lord who gave it. And so we're not going to skip the ending. Because it makes mention of a regular person. And it gives us useful stuff, as Scripture always does, in showing us what regular people are to be all about. From the end of the book of Ephesians, we're going to see what I say in the title at the top of your outline. That we are to be ordinary people who are serving an extraordinary God. Let's ask God to help us as we do. Father, as we look into your word as ordinary, just really ordinary people. None of us here were of noble birth. When we were called, none of us deserve to be called in any respect. Lord, you have taken the lowly things 
You've sought to use the lowly things to exalt yourself by showing your power in those who are weak. And so thank you, Lord, for calling me and for calling all of us to the marvelous task of glorifying Jesus Christ through the mission he has given to his church. Help us as we look at your servants. We, some of them, we only know their names. We know very little else about them. But thank you for memorializing them in the pages of Scripture so that we can be encouraged to be ordinary people serving an extraordinary God. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 6, a fellow named Tychicus is mentioned. He is mentioned four other times in the New Testament. He's mentioned in one reference with six other people who accompanied Paul as Paul's traveling companions. And so in Acts chapter 20, the Bible says this. He, Paul, was accompanied, and then it says among those who accompanied him is Tychicus. And it notes that he's from the province of Asia. Now, because he was from the province of, of Asia, not the continent of Asia as we know it, the province of Asia, which is our current modern-day Turkey, the major city of that province was Ephesus. And so Tychicus was probably converted as a result of Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus that's recorded in Acts chapters 19 and 20. And so being from Ephesus, Tychicus would have witnessed what Paul underwent as recorded in Acts chapter 19. Some of you may remember that there was a, a riot that took place. And the reason for the riot is because Paul and his associates were preaching Jesus and people were being converted. And as a result of their conversion to Jesus, they were no longer worshiping at the temple of Diana in Ephesus, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Well, there were people who made stuff for the temple. And they made money off of selling the stuff. And so the silversmiths and the craftsmen got together and they rioted in the streets and Paul was in great danger. And so here we have in Acts chapter 20 now, mention of Tychicus being a traveling companion of Paul right after Acts 19 that records the very incident that I just mentioned. And so he is sharing in the danger that Paul faced and demonstrating his, Tychicus's own bravery. He's described in nearly the same words as we have in Ephesians, verses 21 and 22, in Colossians chapter 4. It says this, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He's mentioned again in Scripture as a replacement for Titus. You all know the name Titus. There's a book in the New Testament that bears his name. A letter was written to Titus by Paul to instruct Titus on what he needed to do, according to chapter 1 in the book of Titus, on the island of Crete in order to establish the church there and appoint leaders, elders, so that Titus could then, could then depart. Titus's ministry there was coming to a close. Paul wanted him for another task, and he chose Tychicus to be his replacement. And so here's what he says to Titus. As soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, 
because I've decided to winter there. And then the last mention of Tychicus that we have in the New Testament is in the very last chapter, in the very last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote before he was executed. He simply says this, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus, back to his hometown, in order to carry on the work of the Lord. He's mentioned this now in Ephesians chapter 6, this fifth time in Scripture, at the end of Ephesians, because in all likelihood, he was what's called the amanuensis for Paul in penning this letter. It was Paul's habit to dictate his letters and to have someone else there who was actually doing the writing. And then at the end of the letter, Paul himself would take the stylus, the pen, and he would add his own ending to it. And so we're now at the end of this letter, verses 21 through 24, where Paul has taken the pen, as he has done on numerous occasions with his other letters. The end of the letter to the first letter to the Corinthians. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. At the end of the letter to the Galatians, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand, says Paul. At the end of Colossians, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains, grace be with you. And then he says in his second letter to the Thessalonians, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. And then he adds this, which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. And by the way, the reason he mentions that, this is how I write. This is my distinguishing mark. is because he had said in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, Do not be unsettled by any report or some letter supposed to have come from us that says the Lord's return has already occurred. And so he is saying, a letter that comes from me looks like this. This is my distinguishing mark. And so now at the end of this letter to the Ephesians, he takes the stylus. And can you just sort of picture it now? He's under house arrest. He's a prisoner of the Lord. He's dictated this marvelous letter, takes the pen. Perhaps he glances at Tychicus. And he writes these words in verse 21, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything. Now what's important for us to see is that this man who's mentioned these five times in Scripture, including Ephesians 6, this man Tychicus was not a VIP in human terms. He left no writing that survives for us. He did no feats, which Luke, who wrote the first history of the first century church that we call the book of Acts, Luke didn't think any of what he did worthy of preserving in the book of Acts. But here he is, memorialized for millennia in the pages of Holy Scripture. Because Jesus and his mission were most important to this man. And yet, although he was not a big name or a big shot, his place in God's plan, as your place in God's plan is. Notice what I say in the outline. Your place in God's plan, like that of Tychicus and others we're going to see, is significant. Significant. 
Tychicus is just one among many, many people mentioned in Scripture who performed crucial tasks for the mission of Christ, but who are mostly or some entirely unknown to us other than their names in these New Testament letters. Most of the letters Paul wrote end with a list of people that are with him at his place of writing or people to whom he offers greetings at the place he's writing to. He'll sometimes offer a brief description of what they've done to contribute to the advance of the mission. Now, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like for us to look at an example of that. And we're going to spend most of our time looking at Romans chapter 16, the end of the letter to Romans, Romans chapter 16. For those of you that have the Bibles that we distribute, the guys had two different kinds. In the 90-day Bible, it's page 931. In the other Bibles, not the 90-day Bible, it's page 633, Romans chapter 16. And I want you to see the significant role that brothers and sisters, mostly unknown to us, played in the advance of the biblical mission as recorded in Romans 16. This last chapter of this marvelous letter lists 35 names. In fact, here are the 35 names. I have them all just bunched together on the screen. 35 of them. Now, a bunch of you are counting. Just take my word for it, okay? And I have a few of them highlighted because of these 35 names... There may be one or two, if you're really good, there may be five, and I have five of them highlighted, that you may know something about Phoebe. Phoebe has some renown, as mentioned in the first couple of verses in Romans 16, because the word that is used for her is the word minister, or it can be translated deaconess. And so some have thought she held the office of a deaconess. I won't deal with that issue but her name is known because of that, Priscilla and Aquila. I'll have occasion to talk about them in a bit, but they are mentioned in Acts chapter 18. And so you may know them. You see Mary there, but it's not the Mary that you're thinking of, so you don't know this Mary. And then down toward the bottom, there's mention of Timothy. And we do know Timothy because there are two letters that bear his name, First and Second Timothy. But aside from that, these are people that we simply do not, do not know. They are obscure people memorialized in Scripture. Of the 35 people listed, at least 30 are unknown to most of us. And this list of names at the end of Romans 16 shows a number of things about the church being comprised of ordinary people like Tychicus, like you and like me, who did extraordinary work to advance the biblical mission. And I'd like to share with you some of what we see from Romans 16 and these people like Tychicus and like you. In this list, you see that the church was made up of a diversity of people. It was comprised of different genders. 35 names, 10 of them are feminine. Now, when you think about the male-dominated society in which they lived and ministered, it's perhaps amazing that 10 of these 35 would be women. 
Sometimes Bible-believing Christians are accused of being demeaning to women. It's said that somehow we believe that women are inferior, but quite to the contrary, Christianity, if properly understood, places great value on women. Properly understood, Christianity values the essential equality of the sexes. It was, after all, Paul who said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28, In Christ there is neither male nor female. It's true that we have different God-given functions to perform. But in who we are as people in the image of God and as servants of our God, there is no difference. And so you have this diversity in the church is seen in the genders listed, but also in the nationalities. There are Greek names in this list of 35. There are Latin names, Jewish names as, as well. Now notice all these different nationalities. Friends, did you know that Paul did not see any such thing as a Christian nation? Did you all know that? That there was the church made up of nationalities? And in this political season, I am encouraging you, brothers and sisters, to take rather than first an American perspective, take a biblical perspective, on who, what we are called to do and where we live and what our mission is. There are all these different nationalities. And there are all these different races. There are obviously Jews and Gentiles mentioned here. In fact, twice Paul speaks of some of those names he lists as my relatives. I don't think he's talking about uh, his direct relatives, blood relatives, but the fact that that they are Jews, unlike many others in the list, like Paul is a, a Jew, but unlike many others in the list who are Gentiles. And there's one reference in verse 13 that may be a racial reference as well. Romans 16 and verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Now, Rufus is mentioned one other time or a Rufus, one other time. It's in the Gospels, recording the life and ministry and death and burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 21. Now Mark chapter 15 is the second to the last chapter of Mark's Gospel. We're coming to the close of Jesus' earthly ministry. It's the time of his crucifixion. And the scene is him carrying the cross to, to Calvary. And you may remember that there was help that needed to be given in order for him to, to carry the cross. Tradition says that Jesus, in a weakened condition, stumbled and fell under the weight of the cross, which could have weighed as much as 300 pounds. And one from the crowd that was cheering and jeering was forced to carry the cross, one named Simon of Cyrene. Many of those from the island of Cyrene were black. We may very well have a black man in Mark 15 carrying the cross of Jesus. And in verse 21 of Mark 15, it identifies Simon the Cyrene as the father of two people, Rufus and Alexander. Now why mention Simon's kids? <laughs> Here's why. Because by the time Mark penned his gospel, Simon had become very well known, and his sons had become well known. It's probable 
that we have here in Romans 16, Rufus, the son of Simon the Cyrene, who carried the cross of Jesus Christ. You have a diverse group in terms of gender, nationality, race, but also in terms of social class. Notice verse 8. Greet Ampliatus. Now, Ampliatus was a common name in that age for slaves, the lowest of the classes. And Paul adds this of him, whom I love in the Lord. And in verses 22 and 23, you have two other people mentioned, one named Tertius and the other Quartus. Tertius and Quartus. So some of you are familiar with tertiary, means third, thirdly, comes from the Latin. Tertius means three. And you're familiar with quarter, a fourth. Tertius is three and Quartus is four. These guys' names were number three and number four. And it's because in all likelihood they were slaves and their masters simply gave them numbers. And here they are counted among the servants of Jesus Christ. In the body of Christ, this diversity, though, is brought together in a profound and amazing unity. And I'd like to share with you seven things that these folks who are mentioned in Romans 16 demonstrate about the unity they had to the mission and the cause of Jesus Christ. We see in this list that, first of all, they loved ministry more than life itself. Look at verse 4. After greeting Aquila and Priscilla, Paul, who wrote it, says, They risked their lives for me. Now, when did that happen? We're not told explicitly when that happened. But here's what we know about Aquila and Priscilla, this married couple. That they were removed, kicked out of the city of Rome. Because the, the governor got tired of the Christian sects there and decided to kick uh, Christianity and Christians out of, out of the city. So Aquila and Priscilla had to leave town. They made their way, the Bible tells us, to the port city of, of all places, Ephesus. And Aquila began to apply his trade, and he was a tent maker. And one day, another tent maker came to town and set to work to support himself, a fellow you may know named Paul. They met, they forged a lasting bond in the work of the Lord Jesus. And as they served in Ephesus, they came across a preacher named Apollos, most of them, one of the most eloquent preachers of the day. He was well-trained, the Bible tells us, but he didn't have a full understanding of the gospel. And so this Christian devoted couple, Priscilla and Aquila, take Apollos aside to explain to him more fully the gospel as they had been taught it by Paul. Now, how did they risk their lives? Well, I mentioned to you there was a riot in, in Ephesus, the very city where they made the acquaintance of Paul. And it is probable that they aided Paul in escaping the danger and thereby risked their lives themselves. 
What we do know is that here was a couple so devoted, so committed to the ministry and its propagation that it meant everything to them such that Paul could say of them, they risked their lives for me. Regular people. But second, these people in this list saw possessions as a tool to serve the Lord. Verse 5 says, greet also the church that meets at their house. Priscilla and Aquila risk their lives for me, and the church meets in their house. Now we have community groups. I host, we've hosted a community group over the years. Many of you have, many of you are right now. And you know how that can go with setting up just for your small group to come on a Sunday evening. These folks were using their house for the entire church to meet. Every week. Usually more than, than once a week. Why? Because they saw their possessions as a tool for service. People who risked their lives for the cause. People who used the possessions God had given for the cause. Now, friends, just think about the way we view our possessions. Can you imagine any of these people buying adult toys? To just recreate? They loved ministry more than life. They saw possessions as a tool for service. Here's a third thing. They toiled ceaselessly for the benefit of other people. Verse 6, as I mentioned, we don't know who this Mary was that's mentioned, but it says, greet Mary who worked very hard for you. And the word that's used here, translated worked very hard, means to toil to the point of exhaustion. And then in verse 12, we have two other sisters mentioned to whom this same word is applied, Tryphena, Tryphosa. Those women who work hard in the Lord, verse 12 says. These were possibly twin sisters. And also in verse 12 we find Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. It's interesting that this is in the, the past tense. Has worked very hard in the Lord. The other ladies are continuing to work hard. This lady has worked in the past because she was probably at the end of her life. So it raises a question for us, doesn't it? When we reach the end of our lives, what will others be able to look back upon and say about us? You know, Sundays were my only day to sleep in. You know, I don't find certain aspects of the ministry very comfortable. But these ladies toiled to the point of exhaustion. And friends, I'm not just trying to, to give you a guilt trip. I'm just trying to have us all, myself included, let us think, let us contemplate the mission to which the Lord has called us. And let us ask ourselves how the excuses that we so often give will sound when we stand before our Lord. These people were also committed to the cause at any cost. Verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junius my relatives who have been in prison with me. So here are two brothers 
who were willing to be imprisoned and in fact were imprisoned with Paul because of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. Hebrews 10, 32 to 34 says this, Remember those earlier days when you had received the light and when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of some suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. There's a phrase for you. You know, the, the Republican Party, that could, be our, that could be the theme. Joyfully accepting the confiscation of your property. Are you kidding? It's my stuff. I put a lot of time into this stuff. I live for this stuff, as a matter of fact. This stuff is the most important thing in my life, it would appear. And yet, they joyfully endured the confiscation of their stuff. These folks were committed to the cause of Christ at any cost. Even in prison with Paul. And prison in Paul's day were a far cry from the prisons in our day. And fifthly, they were driven by a sense of mission. Verse 7 again. It says of these men, they are outstanding among the apostles. Now, when you read the word apostle in the New Testament, you know that there are 12 very select people, the 12 apostles. Sometimes in Scripture they're just called the 12. That's how special a group they are. We're told in Revelation chapter 21 in verse 14, at the end of human history, when the new city of Jerusalem comes down from heaven and we're given the dimensions of the city, that the foundations have 12 sides on which are written the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, a special group. And yet these guys are called outstanding among the apostles, but their names are never among the 12. Why are they called apostles? Here's why. Because apostle is sometimes used in the technical sense of this select group that was chosen by Jesus to found the church, write scripture, and sometimes it's used in a more general sense. The word apostle simply means one who is sent or one who is commissioned. And every believer is an apostle in that sense because we've all been commissioned of God. Every believer has been sent to minister to a lost and dying world. And here are two men who were driven by a sense of mission. So much so that they were recognized by everyone as being outstanding in the fulfillment of that calling. And then seventh, verse 10 tells us of Romans 16, they were genuine in their faith. Verse 10, Apelles is tested and approved in Christ. The word translated tested and approved is one that's used often in Scripture. It describes testing metal by putting the fire to it to determine the quality of the ore to see if it really is as it appears. Tested and approved. Genuine in their faith. Do you see, friends, why I say in your outline that your place in God's plan like that of Tychicus in Ephesians 6, like that of these 35 brothers and sisters in Romans 16, most of them 
unknown to us other than their names here. That your place in God's plan is significant. That the ministry is not carried out only by professionals or Green Beret Christians, but by all of us. Now we're going to bounce through the rest of this in just a bit. I told you we'd spend most of our time at the beginning. Friends, God willing, we're going to move by the end of the year into a ministry center. We call it that on purpose. It is a center, a place for ministry to occur and to emanate from. And you have been called to the ministry. All of us have. And now that we have this place and this campus, we can carry on even more ministry than we've been able to carry on here. And we can be the kind of epicenter church that you've heard me talk about if you've been here over the years. Where the ripples go out from us to the regions beyond and to other parts of the world. But it only happens when ordinary people serve our extraordinary God. And it offers every one of us an opportunity to say, Lord, I value everything else less than I value you and your mission. Oh, that 2012 would be a year that Community Baptist Church, ordinary people, no big shots, just ordinary folk, use what Jesus has given for the purpose for which he has given it. And to see the significant role that we have been called to play in carrying out his work. And I say secondly in your outline. That your place in God's plan <clears throat> is not only significant, but it's personal. <clears throat> personal. Because verse 21 says, Tychicus is the dear brother. And so as we serve the Lord, we don't serve the Lord as islands. We don't serve the Lord on our own. We don't say, I don't need anybody else. Quite the contrary. The number one metaphor used in Scripture for the church, although it uses a number of them, like an army and like a building and like a bride, the number one metaphor is a family. The household of God. And that's why very often in Scripture, the men and women of the church are called brothers and sisters. Dear brother, literally beloved brother. And he's beloved, he is loved and dear because he's known. <laughs> and he's known because he's there. And he's there because he serves. And he interacts with the other brothers and sisters. And as a result, he is the dear brother. Your place in God's plan is not only significant, personal, but thirdly, it's privileged. Verse 21 says of Tychicus, he's the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. Just think about that title. Servant of the Lord. If you know of a greater privilege than that, let me in on it. To be a servant of the Most High King. To be a servant of the Lord, but to be called a faithful servant in the Lord. To be one for whom it can be confidently said that when his days on earth are done, he will stand before the Lord Jesus and hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Privileged. 
Dear friends, it is a privilege for us to be called out of the world into Christ and to be called into the ministry together. Do you see it that way? I don't want to just, as I say, heap guilt. I want to give you an outlet, you know, for your guilt. It's not just the exit. But rather to do something about it. Say, Lord, I, I need to channel what you have given me into the work that you've called me to. And so we offer you a way to do that. We don't just say, just find something to do. Just get busy. But we actually have a ministry devoted to helping you do that. To serve the Lord. To use your talents and your gifts. And the truth is, in a group this size, there are undoubtedly people who are not doing that. You want to do that? You see it as the privilege that it is? Then see that guy. Ken, put your hand up. Everybody knows Ken Rapp. Thank you, sir. And during our, he's got the white hair, so he dyes it so you know who he is during the, uh, during the break time. See Ken, and he will help place you in ministry. It's a privilege. And it's also, fourthly in your outline. Your place in God's plan is significant and it's personal and it's privileged and it's also shared with others. Verse 21 again. He is the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord and he will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I'm doing. Well, what do we care, we Christians in Ephesus? What do we care how Paul is and what he's doing. <laughs> Here's why. Because we share together in his work. That's why. Because we're part of the work that he is doing. That's why we care. Because Philippians chapter 1 and verse 5 says this. Paul says, I thank my God every time I remember you Christians in the city of Philippi. I thank my God because, verse 5, Philippians 1, of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, you and I as Christians are partners in a firm called Great Commission Incorporated. And we share this ministry together and therefore we care what's going on in the ministry that we are partnered with. Whether it's here, whether it's just beyond us in Trenton and Woodhaven, whether it's in places like China. Your place in God's plan is all four of those things. Your place is in, I say in your outline, God's plan. It's God's plan. And because it's God's plan, He provides what you need in order to carry it out. Verses 23 and 24 tell us, and I've just filled those in for you. We have looked at all four of these at various times, because they have all four been mentioned at various times throughout the book of Ephesians. That it is God who has placed you in His plan and He has provided for you the resources, the peace with Him and with others. To experience the love of Christ and how deep and how long and how wide is the love of Christ, says Paul in chapter 3. And thus we can love each other and love those who are outside the church to bring them in. It is God who has provided you with faith, says Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It is by grace you have been saved through faith, but this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, including the faith. 
is the gift of God. And all of it is because of the grace of our God. I say in your take-home truth, God provides us the resources and God provides us the honor of serving in his mission. Oh, dear friend, do you see serving Jesus as the honor and privilege that it is? In this life, few may know your name. But what matters is that Christ knows our names. And that he knows our labor of love on his behalf. And that we use what he has given for the purpose for which he has given it. And we do not squander it on lesser things. May that be true of us. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Our Father, we once again come away from the mirror of the word convicted. I come away convicted. Because I see the commitment of your people. People whose names are obscure to us, we will only know them, most of them in glory. But I see what they've done, the extraordinary things they have done just as ordinary people. Lord, I thank you, though, that your conviction has a purpose. You don't leave us torn. You don't leave us ridden with guilt. But rather, you tell us what to do. So, Lord, help all of us to, to think about to contemplate all that we have been provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we have been given everything so we don't need anything. And there we, therefore we can risk it because we don't care about it ultimately. That we have more important things. Help us to be people who demonstrate that Jesus and his cause are the most valuable things in the universe. Help us to do it by the way we live, by the way we appropriate what you have given to us our time and our talent and our treasure. Lord, our hearts wander, my heart wanders. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. We're surrounded with temptations and the siren call, come here, use this, do that. It's better, it's more fun. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to be focused on you as we run the race and to see nothing as granting more joy than to please you and to see people come to you and grow in you. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.